You're listening to the FC Young Adult Podcast. What's going on, guys? Hope that you are having a fantastic week. Uh, We are starting our summer series this week, and it's simply entitled The Gospel of John. John is one of the four Gospels in the New Testament, and it's written by the Apostle John himself. This is a man who walked with Jesus while he was on earth. The Gospel was mostly written about 40 years after the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Most scholars would agree that it's also likely written to an audience that was largely Greco-Roman, meaning that he was trying to communicate to a mixed bag, right? You had people who were coming from a Jewish background or you were having people who were coming from a Gentile background. And so you had this mixed bag of people who come from a lot of different places with lots of different understandings of who Jesus was and uh, what their past were like and all these different things. So really what John is writing to is us, right? A mixed bag, people who have all kinds of different faith backgrounds. It's a great place to start uh, when you're starting your walk with Jesus. It's an incredible, incredible book. This week, we're going to start uh, the series by looking at an eternity-changing interaction between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. And where I want to start is finding out who Nicodemus was. Uh, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. This was the Jewish council. We see him multiple times throughout the Gospel of John. He is uh, high in rank when it comes to the Jewish council. He's an important man to the Jewish faith. He's an important man to the other Jews culturally and religiously. And while most of the Sanhedrin was staunchly opposed to Jesus and definitely against Jesus claiming to be the Messiah, Nicodemus seems to have a soft heart towards the idea that that throughout the Gospel of John, you see this man who is really struggling and wrestling with what he knows to be true and what he wants to know and all of these different things that are are happening. His humanity is fighting against... um, his his mind, his heart, his soul as he's trying to interact with this person of Jesus. And so he has this soft heart towards the idea that Jesus actually is who he said he is, but there's a real tension within him, within him that's on full display. So where we're going to be is John chapter 3. And we're going to start right at the beginning in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. It says, There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him, that's Jesus, came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi. Now, just from the top, Rabbi means that he had respect for him and he believed that he was a a, a significant person who had wisdom to, to teach. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. So the first question that I want to ask this week is how do we approach Jesus? How do we approach Jesus? Is it under the cover of night, as Nicodemus says, I don't want anybody to know that I'm approaching Jesus with my questions, or are we public with our faith in Jesus? Are we approaching Jesus in full sight of the people around us? I understand that this is and always will be a nuanced question because every situation is different. Someone could easily bring up the persecuted church in certain areas and just like, are you shaming them for, for approaching Jesus in secret? No, I'm not shaming anybody for approaching Jesus in secret. But I think that we need to personalize it here in our Western culture. If you're listening to this in Western culture, if you're listening to this in China, then forgive me for 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 
putting a Western spin on this, but but can we personalize it? personalize this. You and I, can we personalize this? How do you and I approach Jesus in our lives? Do we verbally communicate the the lordship of Christ in our lives? Have we communicated to the people around us that Jesus is the savior, the lord, the ruler of our lives? If yes, we have to ask ourselves a follow-up question. Does our life line up with that declaration? If we say that Jesus has lordship in our life, if we say that he's the savior, he he is everything to us, that we are submitted and surrendered to him, are our words and our actions, are they lining up with that declaration? Because people are going to watch. When we say that we follow Jesus, people are going to say, okay, what does that mean? And hopefully it means that we're full of grace and we're full of truth and we're full of compassion and forgiveness because we have a God and a savior who loves us. It still speaks truth into our lives but is compassionate and gracious towards us. So do our lives line up with that declaration? Then there are some of us who might struggle with the idea that Jesus truly is who he said he was. And we don't even want people to know that we're curious. So so cover of night it is, right? That, that we're curious or maybe we're even resistant, but, but we would never let anybody know that we're actually stepping into those different things. Either way, I think there's a tension. Our humanity struggles with making a decision on Jesus and I think the reason that our humanity struggles on making a decision with Jesus, whether whatever quote-unquote side of the fence we find ourselves on, is because that at the core of our being, we know that it's the most important decision that we could ever make. That if we believe that Jesus is who he said he was, if we believe that he is the Messiah, if we believe that he is the Savior, if we believe that and we make that decision, it is the biggest decision that we'll ever make in our lives. Like that's an eternity-shifting decision. But there's also something in our gut when we want to make a decision the other way, we want, where we want to ignore it, that we still, like, there's a churning in our soul where we know, like, man, like, I am resistant to that. And there's something about that, that that creates this spiritual, physical, relational tension within me. You see, our humanity struggles with making that decision because it's the biggest decision in the world. And that is what Nicodemus was facing then, that he was this Sadducee, this Pharisee, who who was a part of the Jewish council, and he had all of these feelings, and all of his peers are saying, like, no, like, Jesus is not the Messiah. If he was the Messiah, he wouldn't heal on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath. If he was the Messiah, he wouldn't do this. He wouldn't hang out with sinners. He wouldn't hang out with tax collectors. He wouldn't hang out with prostitutes. If he was the Messiah, yada, yada, yada. But Nicodemus is like, oh, but but there's something in me that is saying that he is that. Like he is the Messiah. He is the long one, the one that we've been long awaiting for. So 2,000 years ago, Nicodemus struggles with that. And yet it's what we're still struggling with today, what we're facing today. One of the questions that we have to ask ourselves is, do we see Jesus as a teacher that God is with or as God himself? Because if we believe that he is God, it sets the table for everything. If we say that we believe that he is God, we have to figure out what that looks like. If he's not just a good guy with good words, and we believe that he is God incarnate, God made flesh, what does that mean in our lives? And if we, if we voluntarily say that, if we submit our lives to that, surrender our lives to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, is our walk with Jesus spiritual showmanship or is it truly holy relationship? 
Because Nicodemus believed that God was with Jesus, but he struggled with the idea that he was actually the Messiah. And some of us get stuck in the same thought process, that Jesus was good, but maybe not God. And if that is our mentality, we're focusing on the humanity of Christ, not the holiness of Christ. So when we we wrestle with this idea of being in intimate relationship with Jesus, surrendered relationship with Jesus, we have to say, is it is it just for show or there, is there actually heart change happening? Is there actually holy relationship? Is there something that is happening and developing within us because we have actually surrendered our lives to Jesus? We're in submission to him. Or is it something where we just want to say the right things and we want to look a certain way? What is it? What is our mentality when it comes to God? When it comes to Jesus, do we believe that he is who he said he is? What we find is that Jesus lays out in the rest of the passage a roadmap, a way to get off the fence of religiosity and into a personal relationship with him. The next passage is a little long, but bear with me. John chapter 3, verses 3 through 12 says this. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born again when he's old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter into his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear and you hear its sound, but you must you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can these things be? said Nicodemus. Are you a teacher of Israel and don't know these things? Jesus replied. Truly I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. He's talking about him and the disciples and the other followers of Jesus. If I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe, How will you believe it if I tell you about heavenly things? This conversation is at the crux of our walk with Jesus. What what he's saying is that the law and the obedience of rules was now taking a backseat to something much bigger, that that the old covenant was now taking a backseat to the new covenant that Jesus was making with not just the Jewish people, but with all people. Something eternal was happening. And it brings us to our next point is that we must be born Again, super Christianese phrase, right? We must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, what do you mean? Like, am I supposed to go back into my mother's womb and be born again? Like, this is a a educated, smart, religious leader, and he is confused. And so when we hear that 2,000 years later, it's okay for us to be like, what does it mean to be born again? Like, I don't understand. But the answer is the same for us as it was for him, that this was not a physical rebirth. It was a spiritual rebirth. It is not about changing what we do, not about behavioral modification. It's about something about in in the surrender of every area of our hearts, the seen and the unseen. Being born again is about giving lordship to Jesus, to God alone. And oftentimes we see Christianity as being a better person, right? Which if we're truly following Jesus, the hope is that that's a natural result. That if we are submitted to Jesus, to to the Lordship of Christ in our lives, that we will be better people. Because every single day what we're trying to do is be a little bit more like Jesus. And Jesus was, and nobody can argue this. Like even if people don't believe that he was the Messiah, even if people don't believe that he was God made man, they still look at the life of Jesus and be like, he was an incredible man. Like he was a good human. 
because he was fully human and fully God. And so, so people will get on board with that. And even if you don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, you can probably say like, yeah, I look at the life that Jesus lived and, and I'm like, yeah, I think I would want to be a little bit more like Jesus. He loved people really well. He had compassion and grace and mercy. And he was truthful, but always from a place of relationship. And he was always from a place of love. That, that what we are trying to do is become a little bit more like Jesus. So if we are trying to do that, the natural result is that we will be better people. But it's not about doing more. It's not about being better. It's about being surrendered. It's about being submitted and, and being fully submitted unto Christ, that our life would be fully submitted unto him. And one of the things that Jesus is communicating to Nicodemus is that there wasn't anything that he could physically do to get closer to heaven. Right? Like, like he's talking to Nicodemus and he's like, there's things that are born of the flesh, but those are just of the flesh. Like what's born of the spirit, you can't see it. But what's born of the spirit is of the spirit. What's born of the flesh is the flesh. So the doing part of things, like I'm not interested I'm not interested. I, I want the heart change. I want the mind change. I want I want the, the holistic person of Nicodemus to change. Like that's what Jesus is saying to him. See, it's not about doing more or being better. Unfortunately, the context of this, this conversation happens at a time where Nicodemus and the Pharisees are are largely holding the doing part of life over the over the heads of the Jewish people. The religious elite were very good at holding these exact type of things in tension with people and saying, hey, if you don't do this, if you don't do that, then God is going to punish you. If you don't do this and you don't do that, you won't be blessed. All of those different things. That was a part of what had become of the religious structure. And what Jesus was coming to do was to replace religion with relationship. And what Nicodemus needed to understand and what we do too is that our life will flow from our spiritual surrender, not our physical deeds. That what we do will not determine our eternity. It's who we're submitted to that will. That it's not about anything that you and I can strive to do, but it's all about Jesus and what he did. You see, God is looking for a changed heart, a changed mind, a changed spirit, not something that just looks good on the outside. He doesn't want people who just do the right things because they think that that's the right thing to do. He wants people who who live lives that are fully surrendered unto him, which in turn will bless the people around them, where people will feel loved like they've never felt loved before. Well, they will feel cared for like they've never been cared for before because we live a life surrendered to the one who cared for us and loved us like nobody has ever loved us before. Then our interaction goes on in verses 13 through 15. And it says this, it says, no one is ascended. This is Jesus speaking. No one is ascended into heaven except the one who is descended from heaven, the son of man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Now, this is a really confusing verse if you don't have context. Well, what's happening in this moment is Jesus is actually referring back to the life of Moses in the book of Numbers. And this passage by itself can cause some question. It's important that we look back into that book of Numbers in the Old Testament because that's what Jesus wants us to do. This verse comes from an inter- interesting interaction between God and the Israelites as they've been freed from the captivity of Egypt. So, Moses comes in, he says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no, all the plagues happen. Eventually he lets the people go. They go into the wilderness, but the Israelites have a really short memory. And instead of thinking about how incredible God is, like he split the Red Sea, like all of these things have happened. 
and yet they start to complain about, oh, like, why did you lead us out here to die, Moses? And why did God lead us out here to die? And all of these different things. And so God gets upset and he sends snakes into the camps of the Israelites, these poisonous snakes, and they bite people and people die. And then he tells Moses in Numbers chapter 21, verses 8 through 9, he says this. He says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake image and mount it on a pole. When anyone is bitten, anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will recover. So Moses made a bronze snake and mounted it on a pole. And whenever someone was bitten and he looked at the bronze snake, he recovered. It's like, what in the world is going on here? But there was nothing in this moment in numbers that the Israelites could do themselves to be saved. If they got bitten and they didn't look at the snake, this the snake figure, they would not be healed. They had to look at this snake who was lifted up, like Moses literally physically lifted this up. And it feels like odd imagery until we move into the Jesus story and realize that for all people, we have to look at Jesus who is about to be lifted up. That shortly after this interaction between him and Nicodemus, he is going to be lifted up by Nicodemus's compadres over here and the Roman soldiers and the Jewish council, and they're going to have him crucified. And so he is going to be lifted up. But when we look at Jesus being lifted up on the cross and we recognize and submit that he is who he said he is, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one will come to the Father except through him. What is happening in that moment is this representation. Like this, this representation that happens in numbers is now eternal in Jesus. That that if they got temporarily saved, their lives are temporarily slave, saved because they look at what Moses is lifting up. We have to understand what Jesus is saying is that if we submit to him and we look at him being lifted up on the cross, we will have eternal life. See, the Israelites were given new life, and we get the same opportunity. They got to continue living their physical life, but we get to live life for eternity with Jesus because he was willing to be lifted up on our behalf. And then the next verse is arguably the most popular verse in human history. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. He loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. This is a foundational verse for everything that we believe as followers of Jesus. And we could unpack several different things within this verse. There's a reason that it's the most popular verse. But for time's sake, I just want to point out one word. Everyone. Everyone. It can be so incredibly easy for us as human beings to become exclusionary. Following Jesus is not exclusive. It is inclusive. And I think that our humanity has this like natural bend towards just being inclusive or completely exclusive and not being inclusive and saying like, well, we want our tribe and we want our, our, our clubs and we want our cliques and we want all these different things. And so we like being a part of things that, that other people aren't a part of because we feel better then. But nothing about following Jesus is exclusive. It is inclusive. We have to stop thinking about all the reasons that others cannot be forgiven. We have to stop thinking about all the reasons that other people cannot be forgiven. We can't look at people's lifestyles or, or their orientations or their whatever it is, their beliefs, all those things, and be like, yeah, God could never redeem that. Yes, he can. If he could redeem you, if he could redeem me, he can redeem anybody. We have to stop thinking about all the reasons that others cannot be forgiven. And two, we have to stop thinking about all the reasons that we cannot be forgiven. 
that for some of us, our problem isn't looking at those people out there and and how unforgivable they are. We look internally at ourselves and we think about how unforgivable we are. And isn't it amazing that God looks at you and calls you beloved and he calls you son and he calls you daughter and he goes, I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've done. This is still for you. The good news of the gospel is that everyone, everyone is welcome into the family of Christ. Now, we have to actively actively accept that invitation and, and do the surrendering part of things, but the invitation is there for every single person on the planet. And that's why John 3.16 is absolutely incredible, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but they will have eternal life. And that's where we sometimes end, right? John 3.16, we just leave it there and we're like, oh, that's so good. We don't really care to read the next few verses because what more do you need than that? But there's something incredibly beautiful that happens in the the following verses. And there's also a couple things that are kind of hard pills to swallow. But I love John 3, 17. Because it says this, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him save not sentence save not sentence jesus is god in flesh and he came as a loving servant not a judgmental tyrant and we need to remember that our view of god matters if we believe that he is looking to condemn us to hell we live in unhealthy fear but if we believe that his end game is to save the world through his son we sit in awe of that love that we've talked about it's hard to submit and surrender to a God that is just wanting to punish us and remind us of how broken we are and how, how unloved we are. Like, why would we want to surrender to that? Why would we want to submit to that? What kind of God is that to follow? But when we realize that God sent his love, that he loved us so much that he gave his one and only son so that we would not perish. If we would understand that he came to save and not sentence us, oh man, it changes everything. If God just wanted to judge us, if God just wanted to condemn us, he could have burnt this thing to the ground and started over a long time ago. But he loved us enough to send his son, not to condemn it, but to save it. That brings us to the uncomfortable part. Verses 18 through 21 is a hard truth to remember. It says this, anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and the only son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil for everyone who does evil, hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Some of us will make a conscious decisions to walk away from what Jesus offers. And there is condemnation for those who do not surrender their lives to Jesus. And it would be so much easier if there was not. It would be so much easier. I have friends, I have family, people that I love so much who do not believe that Jesus is who he said he was. And I'm going to spend every breath of my life trying to get them to understand the love that I feel. 
to get them to feel the love that I feel, the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy that I've got to experience my, in my life. That's, there's nothing that I want more. It would be so much easier if we could just say, like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you do with your life. It doesn't matter what you believe. Your decisions hold no weight. That eternity is just eternity, and, and we're all going to the same place no matter what. But our decisions do matter. And that doesn't mean that a certain a number of bad decisions keep us from Christ. God can redeem anything. God can redeem everything. But what it does mean is that we must make the ultimate decision to believe in Christ as our Lord and Savior and surrender our lives to Him if we want that eternity that He promises. And that invitation was available as Christ walked the planet, and it's still readily available today. That the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus is the same conversation that He's having with you and I today. I want to be with you, but you must be born again. You must surrender your life to me. And maybe we need to make that decision for the first time, and maybe we need to just recalibrate and reorient our lives with the decision that we have made before. Either way, would we remember that God is waiting patiently for us, his children, to choose him just like he chooses us? Thank you for listening to the FC Young Adult Podcast. If you are in the Billings area, we would love to see you at our in-person gatherings on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. If you're unable to attend in person, there are always ways to engage online. Follow along through Instagram at faithchapel.ya or find our ministry page at faithchapel.cc. You are loved.